Hello Detroit. Hello Pistons fans. This is the Sports Ethos Pistons podcast. I'm your host Joey Gadaris. You can find me right here on sportsethos.com three times a week, roughly, dropping pods and also on Twitter at Ethos Pistons. Today on the show we have a very special guest, Corey Rausch of the Sports Ethos WNBA podcast. Go check that out. He's also a big Pistons fan former host, current host of Motorcade 313 podcast. And we're going to talk about the Magic game on Friday, looking a little bit ahead to today's matchup with the Cleveland Cavaliers. But we're going to have a larger conversation as well about the front court of the Pistons, the four and the five, and in particular, Hamadou Diallo and Isaiah Stewart. Are they moving to the bench? Are they future starters, future role players, future bench guys. We're going to talk about it all in the second half of the show. But first, listeners, please take a moment to follow at ethosfantasybk on Twitter, the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than the competition and provides more analysis too. Again, that's at ethosfantasybk on Twitter follow now okay so the pistons are now 11 and 37 they are 6 and 9 in 2022 so that hot start to the new year is cooling off and they lost friday night to the last place orlando magic 119 to 103 in a matchup of the two youngest teams in the nba it was a bit of a blowout in favor of the magic who get out to a 22-point lead in the first quarter, making 15 of their first 22 shots, and never looking back. Um, we were able to cut the deficit to seven in the second quarter, but it was 67-51 by halftime. It just kind of carried on from that point forward. Without getting too far into this game, without getting into the, the super specific details, because like I said, it's sort of a wash, um, I do have some takeaways typed up here that I'll just go through. First of all, I came away very impressed with my Michigan Wolverine, Franz Wagner. I've been following this guy, obviously, since his time at Michigan. I'm a big Michigan basketball fan. And he was awesome. 24 points on 58% shooting, 2 of 3 from 3, and 8 of 8 from the line. Didn't really fill the box score, but he got those stats early. 17 points in the first half, uh, 13 points in the first quarter, and really dominating the Pistons um, with his combination of size, dribbling you know creation off the dribble um, and just lights out scoring I was also really impressed with Jalen Suggs who you know has had a bit of an up and down rookie year obviously missed a period of time with an injury um, sort of putting his career on a, on a Killian Hayes trajectory until recently when he returned and he's been much better I think um, he didn't have a huge stat line in this game but he did play with huge energy and was integral to that early lead, that early run. Um, I was really impressed with how he defended Cade, sticking on him like glue, leading him into tough shots, leading him into the you know, outstretched uh, 7'10 wingspan of Mo Bamba. Um, yeah, and, and he was also really good getting out in transition, running the floor. Just a really impressive energy performance from Jalen Suggs, 
who hopefully will go on to have a long NBA career. I think it's pretty obvious from how he played in this one. But for the Pistons, a lot of lowlights. Cade, 3 of 17 shooting, so that's 17%. He misses his first 11 shots. I guess we should have been prepared for this. It had most of the trappings of a you know a trap game. Um, just a one game on the road down to Orlando and coming off you know the best performance of his life. Cade finishes with eight points, two rebounds, four assists, no threes, 30 minutes of play. Um, yeah, you get a game like this on the back, like I said, it's just it's just a really nice uh, wake up call, you know, reality check. Um, that you know this guy is not MVP level quite yet. He will be one day, but maybe not quite yet. Uh, Zadik Bay, 17 points on 35% shooting, pretty standard performance from Sadiq. And Isaiah Stewart, six points, eight rebounds, one assist on three of eight shooting. I don't know. You kind of got to scour the box score to find some highlights, but. One that stood out to me was obviously the play of Killian Hayes. 11 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, a steal and 2 blocks. Is one of the better games of his season and career. Um, Killian again coming off the bench, playing with the second unit, and taking developmental steps. Um, Three made baskets is pretty much in line with his season average, but 5 of 6 from the line is really good. We know he's you know a very, very good free throw free throw shooter and he just doesn't get to the line very often but here he looks a little more aggressive a little more confident running the second unit doesn't have to worry about playing second fiddle to Cade Um, I I didn't think that would be such a big issue for him but again just to see him play so differently and you know not necessarily to break out but to, to show that aggressiveness that we've been clamoring for all year I'll take it you know obviously at the end of the year if he's really aggressive and, and good offensively, he can slide right back into that starting lineup at any point, um, but might as well keep riding the hot hand. Over his last three off the bench, Killian is averaging a pretty solid 25 minutes a game, just like when he was starting, but he's starting to close games now. He's starting to get better matchups. He's averaging eight points, three and a half rebounds, six and a half assists, a steal, and 1.3 blocks to go with about a half a three a game. So, a lot of those stats are pretty much in line with his season numbers, but the jump in free throws up from one attempt to 2.7 attempts per game and assists up from four to six is seeing Killian's stat line really pop with what we know his strengths are, even if they're on low volume, that being assists, defensive stats, and free throw percentage. All right, so we've recapped the Magic game a little bit. Uh, Not a lot of takeaways. Killian was good. Cade was awful. Uh, But after the break, we're going to bring in Corey Rausch to talk about all things Pistons. We're going to preview the upcoming Cavs matchup as well. We'll give our thoughts on the rest of season front court rotations for the Pistons with a particular emphasis on the roles of Hamadou Diallo and Isaiah Stewart. But first, we have a brand new daily fantasy partner, at Sports Ethos, Thrive Fantasy. Prop up with Thrive Fantasy on their mobile app or at thrivefantasy.com. Use code ethos when you sign up to get a 100% deposit match bonus on your first deposit up to 100 bucks, plus either two or four free game tickets to play. 
pick player props on the biggest names playing every night, score points when your props hit, and the players with the most points win a share of the nightly prize money. And check out our Sports Ethos DFS team or podcast for advice on winners. Again, that code is ethos over at thrivefantasy.com. So now we're going to welcome to the show the host of the Motorcade 313 podcast and the new WNBA show on Sports Ethos. It's Corey Rausch. Welcome to the show, Corey. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. You're our first guest. And I also, this joke came to mind immediately, and I have to mention that we're, we're doing a little Corey Joseph show right now. <laughs> Corey and I appreciate Joseph. that. <laughs> so we've talked already about uh, Friday's Magic game, which obviously was a bit of a wash blowout in the first quarter. And we're heading into a game tonight against the Cleveland Cavaliers, which in our first season matchup on November 12th was another big blowout um, with the Pistons on the losing end, failing to score 80 points. And I remember that game. Maybe it was the very first game where we were missing Kelly Olynyk um, from our lineup. Because I just remember I have the vision of Luca Garza getting uh, postered on back-to-back plays in my seared into my brain but um heading into this cavaliers game so obviously my my optimism is not super high but um we're still missing kelly olenek we're still missing well actually now we're missing jeremy grant as well and we know how big the cavaliers are in their front court um obviously rookie of the year front runner evan mobley playing an intimidating power forward and jared allen having a career year um really pretty much near all-star level, if not all-star level. So um, I just wanted to quickly sort of get your thoughts on this matchup tonight. And um, I guess first, is there any optimism? Do you have any hope that we can pull this one out? So most of the year I've kind of handled that my optimism is going to be found in spurts. It's not necessarily because I'm also fine with us losing most of the games if it means we get another top pick. So I'm kind of just looking for things that I can take away as positives. Um, do I have optimism that they're going to win the game? Probably not, just because I think the matchup is just so bad, right? It, it mm-hmm. the their biggest strength is the one thing we don't have. We we don't have a big body to throw at anybody. Like even with Kelly Olynyk on the court, he's not like a traditional big that can def- like that can defend other bigs well. And the fact that they have two of them that are borderline all stars does not bode well for the matchup itself. I, I could foresee yeah. a world where Darius Garland is just running pick and roll with either big man for the entirety of the game and just scoring on every possession. So I'm definitely not too enticed by the prospect of us winning the game, though I do think we can have probably more fun than we did on the, against Orlando the other day where I don't think Cade's going to start one for 13. And for me, the biggest thing I'm taking away is watching anybody develop or anyone go off on a, on a night. So anytime I can see either Cade go off or a, a big Sadiq Bay game, that's optimism enough for me, if that makes sense. Totally, totally. Well, right. And I think uh, my follow-up to that is, you know, this is obviously the matchup of who I consider the two frontrunners for Rookie of the Year Yes. Um, in Evan Mobley and Cade. Obviously, you know, Cade's campaign is sort of ramping up. Evan actually sort of experiencing some troubles from the free throw line, at least, um, as of late. So, I mean... Just to get your thoughts on on this this matchup in particular, these two players, they're probably not going to guard each other that much, but um, they could. But um, yeah, how do you see maybe that matchup playing out? What would be a win for you uh, for for this matchup? 
Um, for Cade. For Cade, I just so we, we've seen the two extremes in the last week, right? We saw the one for where he started one for thirteen on Friday, but the game before that he had the thirty four eight and eight. I'd be kind of cool if it was somewhere in between that where he looks effective, and I don't. It's tough to say outperform mostly because the, their roles are so totally different. But if he just looks like he's holding his own in that matchup, like just like that they perform on an equal level, I think that would really open people's eyes because it's one thing to say that he's doing it randomly, but when he's doing it against the guy who he's trying to catch up on in the rookie of the year race, that could go a long way. I, I don't think it's as far apart as some seem to think. And that's not just like biased Pistons fan because I, I absolutely adore Mobley, but I do think that you can see whenever somebody is the rookie of the year often goes to a guy who is, if he's going to be a top performer on, on a, on a team and as good as Mobley is, he's not the top performer on his team. He's the anchor of that defense, but without a a way for a lot of fans and people like that to quantify defense at this point, it does open up the door for Cade to kind of break into that race a little bit more because what he does is it just jumps out at you so much. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Mobley's strengths mainly being, well, he has, quite a few but yeah statistically being field goal percentage and blocks things that don't uh typically get too many people excited um but you're absolutely right like Cade we've just seen the two extremes of Cade uh it's really rough to see him just miss all those shots against Orlando reminds you of really like the very first game he ever played against Orlando uh you know he had a very rough start to his career shooting the ball and he's totally the bellwether for the team if, if Cade plays well, the team has a chance. If Cade plays bad, there's no chance in hell this team's going to win. So, um, And so, okay, so that was the question I didn't necessarily prepare you for. But uh, we did have a topic that we wanted to talk about today. And I think it kind of works really well between these, the Magic and the Cavaliers game. Two teams with big front courts. Two teams that can go big at the three, two, which is like really, um, that caused a lot of problems against Orlando. Yeah. I thought Wagner was great. Um, but we do want to talk about the Pistons front court because obviously, um, it seems like Pistons fans are maybe having some changing of opinion around particularly Isaiah Stewart. Um, I've been impressed lately. I mean, last few months with the performance of Hamadou Diallo, obviously his role is heavily fluctuating all the time. Um, but yeah, on this topic of. Pistons fans sort of, well, these two players, let's, let's start with that. These two players, they're starting a lot of games together. They're playing, they're sharing the court. Um, I come to this conversation, seeing a lot of similarities in, in the way that they play, um, which is strange because they're, they're two different positions. They're two different body types. And I kind of think that Hamadou is maybe better at the Isaiah Stewart role than Isaiah Stewart is. Um, I see you nodding your head. (laughs) So yeah, just jump in here. Like, do you, do you see it being an issue that they play together so much? Um, I think it's, so I don't know if it's the issue that they play together so much because I think that the way the roster is constructed, they probably have to, um, without having a traditional big man on the roster, Stewart's just going to see a lot of minutes and it is unfortunate that he, to not attack the rim. That, like, that's the, the biggest, for me, other than not having somebody who's over 6'10", the biggest weakness for the development of the guards is you don't, other than Hamadou, you don't really have a player who attacks the rim. 
And I think that's important because like you just see the way that they find ways he's succeeding because they have the vision to put him in a place to succeed. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that he's the only player on the roster that can that has that skill set. And you would like it from your big man because like just thinking about them in a pick and roll scenario where they're able to like like roll to the rim and actually like threaten like rim pressure, that's not Isaiah Stewart's game at this point. He's not offensively offensively aggressive in that way. Yeah. So I think if he was actually being more aggressive, it would not be a problem that they're playing together, whether it be him like kind of popping out and shooting threes, which we saw a little bit more last year than we are this year, or just being more assertive with the way he's currently playing. I I do think it could be a problem, but I also don't think there's a solution on the roster to alter that problem. Kelly Olenek, as you said, has been out for months. And even then, like he would do the, the popping out to the three, but it's not like he's a traditional center either. And then after that, it's just Luca Garza, which that's not really going to solve the issue either. I, I don't think that you have to remove Hamadou from the starting lineup, especially while Grant is out, because I, I do think that he is at least one of the most aggressive offensive players on the court, which at a lot of times the offense can stagnate. So I like having somebody that is going to push it other than just Cade. But yeah, it is definitely an imperfect starting lineup. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's maybe the overarching theme is that this isn't, a roster constructed to win necessarily no. uh, right so um but you're like you're saying like Isaiah's gonna play because he's the nominal center he's supposedly the center so um when I, when the roster has no one else he's gonna play a lot um but at the same time it feels like we go into a lot of games just seeding the center matchup like we're just we're okay to lose that matchup because that's how the roster is built it's either isaiah stewart or trey lyles you know and these guys are not neither of them are a traditional center um you know isaiah isaiah has more maybe blocks potential and sort of some of that but he's just not even getting support from his teammates to even be able to you know play solid defense it feels like um so it all ultimately it comes back to like, okay, if we're not going to have a traditional center, why play Isaiah Stewart in the starting lineup when you could run him out of the second unit, which, you know, last year, obviously he played out of the second unit a lot and we liked what we saw from Isaiah last yeah. year. Um, how do you feel about that? I know, I know Pistons fans are thinking he might be a, a long-term backup center. Um, where do you stand on that? Yeah, that's, I mean, there's a reason why if we were to get a top three pick and like, I mean, I, I don't to get too much into the, into the draft world, but if a guy like yeah. a Jabari Smith is off the board already, like if we're not at number one, I'm fully on board with drafting a Chet because I think that a Chet Holmgren, because I think you can kind of, he's probably more of a power forward just with how slight he is at the moment, but with the rim protection there, you can kind of grow him into that center role. So I'm fine with thinking of Stewart as, as, as a bench player going forward. I do think that it is easy to, fall in love with rookies that you drafted and think that they're going to be your long-term starters. But realistically, when you're drafting a young core from the ground up, some of them are going to end up coming off of the bench. And I think given his size and and lack of refined offensive game at this point, that makes sense. In the current iteration, it's tough because with Kelly out, like, are are you going to start Trey Lyles at center? I don't, I I think that Trey Lyles has been better than I expected him to be, but him as a starting center, like that's just, playing him out of position the entire game, which I don't yeah. love either. So I think as long as Kelly's out, you start Isaiah. But when Kelly comes back, I would – I mean, I don't I don't know if I'm in the majority there because most people want to see the young players get as much run as possible. But I would start Kelly because I think it just puts 
everyone in the better chance to, when I say succeed, I don't necessarily mean wins and losses. I mean, to kind of like flow a little bit better, get a little bit more development. I think that puts everyone in a better position. Yeah. And I think pointing uh, point in case really is Kill, uh, Killian Hayes, right? Recently Killian shifted to the second unit playing off the bench and the minutes haven't really changed that maybe even we're starting to think they might even tick up a little bit because he's starting to close games more often. Um, but just coming off the bench, obviously, you know, if you're the point guard and Cade's running the first unit, that's a big change of scenery. You get to run the second unit if you're Killian. Um, but it doesn't necessarily limit your playing time to come off the bench. It just sort of helps you find better matchups, I think, um, which is important for young guys. For Isaiah, like you said, you know, he doesn't have at least for me, he doesn't have a ton of skill uh, offensively to create for himself really at all. Um, so, (laughs) so yeah, so it feels like, you know, he needs as favorable a matchup as he could possibly have. Um, and we know these guys, you know, I've always said these guys have all year to figure it out. We're not moving on from these guys before this year is over. That's simply not going to happen. So, um, whether it's out of the second unit and then, you know, maybe next year he's back in the starting unit, um, that's a fine trajectory if it gets them going and it, you know, gets them developing. Yeah. I mean, just so in the, in the situation that I outlined earlier, if, if, if we do end up drafting like Chet Holmgren and I said that he would probably come off the bench, but if you, depending on how the roster is constructed at first, if you have one of them, if, like neither of them are a traditional center, at least at this point in their development, but if you can play them next to each other, Chet provides the rim protection that Isaiah isn't able to do, but that allows him to be a, substantially better help defender, which I do think is a role that Stu could really thrive in. So I think that as they continue to build the roster around this, all of this is basically just them auditioning to be pieces around Cade and whoever we draft in this upcoming draft. While it was cool to think that last year's draft class was those pieces, you were getting it. They were coming into, into a year where you still have Blake Griffin and Derek Rose on the, like you hadn't bottomed out yet. So right. This is where it starts. So I, I'm, I, I do think that there is a lot of room for change there. And I, I wouldn't mind it. I think, like you said, Killian has, I don't want to say thrived because uh, like Killian, it's not, uh, please do not mistake this comparison, but it's kind of like how his impact is kind of like how we described Mobley's earlier, where it's not the field goal percentage thing, but it's a lot of things where it's defense and passing doesn't necessarily lead to assists. And some of that's because your teammates are shooting like 30% from the field and some of it's whatever, but his impact is a lot about watching how confident he, confident he plays and him coming in with the second unit. He's playing with a different level of confidence. He, he attacked the rim a lot more in the last game than, than we've seen this so far this season. Some of the passes were a lot more uh, just, there's a lot more determination in them. And like that, like I said, that's things that don't necessarily show up in a stat sheet. It's not things that are going to jump out to you. Like this guy's taking the leap if you're not watching game to game, but if that's kind of infusion of confidence he's getting, I'd like to see Stewart with that same thing because we've seen how he can be when he's aggressive and it is fun to watch. It's impressive, but he's not that regularly enough. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's funny about, about Killian Um, in that game against the magic, he has 11 points, six rebounds, six assists, a steal and two blocks. Like you said, a lot of his contributions come in those categories that aren't points that things, you know, that people often don't see for me, part of that, part of what was so positive about this game, 11 points, five of them from the free throw line, five of six from the line. We know he's a great free throw shooter. Um, so getting into the line is always great. He's never lacked confidence there, um, but he doesn't get there very often. Um, but yeah, eight shot attempts, also pretty good. For the whole, the the you know the attempts and the, the averages over his last three games coming off the bench, 
the biggest increase is in assists. He's two assists up from his average. Four assists is his average for the season. Six six point three, he's averaging over his last three games. Um, and the blocks are coming around, and the free throws. He's up from one attempt per game to two point seven. So you know this is marginal, like you're saying. It's not like he's breaking out, but yeah, um, it is a it is a nice improvement in areas that we know he's strong and we want him to be strong in. You know, um, but not to get too. Uh, caught up on Killian. I, I could talk about Killian all day. So trust me. I, I love Killian. <laughs> me too. But um, I do want to talk about Hamadou Diallo because yes. obviously we, we started this conversation saying that Isaiah and Hamadou can sometimes play a similar role or at least Hamadou's strengths are Isaiah's strengths, mm-hmm. but um, maybe Hamadou does it a little better. How do you see Hamadou's future role? I mean, because I have this restoration view. I have this long-term view, right? The whole we have all season. Um, and so, you know, as I, we were talking before the show a little bit about what we were going to talk about, um, you know, I sort of foregrounded for you, like how I envision the first unit and the second unit. And that first unit for me, it features the two most proven NBA players we have, Jeremy Mm -hmm. Grant and Kelly Olenek at the four and the five, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I think the Jeremy thing is bound to happen. He's going to start when he's, when he's healthy. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that probably eliminates Hamadou Diallo from the starting lineup. Would you say? I would. Yeah, absolutely. And I like, yeah. so all of it kind of depends on if Jeremy gets traded, but in a world where he doesn't, I, I do think Hamadou goes back to being one of the key members off the bench for this team. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you see that? I mean, so in my email to you, <laughs> I said the second unit of Killian, Frank, Hami, and then maybe Isaiah Livers and Isaiah Stewart could be a pretty interesting second unit. Um, I guess I'm just wondering how that sounds to you. Do I sound crazy? I don't um, think so. Thinking that we'll have that much excitement in our second unit. Well, right. That the, I, I, and until Livers is able to really take the court, it's a lot, it maybe is a little bit more Trey Lyles. But even that's not bad because he's played well with Killian. And I don't mind it. I think that the one thing that we're not going to see, unless something drastic happens for Hami, is at the beginning of the year, he was out of the rotation because – Josh Jackson was out playing him and Frank Jackson was out playing him. And then once he got back in the rotation, you could tell that he's not letting that spot go again. And so I, I think as long as it's conveyed to him that yes, you're moving to the bench, you're not going back out of the rotation. I don't think that's an issue because I do think that that unit works to really capitalize on the, the three start used to be starters of, of Killian Tommy and, uh, and Stewart can really thrive in a role like that against bench players. So I don't hate it. I, I I mean, you're right. There's no way that he's going to be starting over a Jeremy Grant whenever Grant comes back. And I guess you could, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't see a world where it's like kill it or it would be like, cause it, to keep him in the starting lineup, you would have to move Corey Joseph back and then like kind of play super big with Hami Cade and, Sadiq next to Jeremy and Kelly. I don't see that happening. So I do think that he would have to be one of the casualties of that starting lineup, which is fine, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a huge lineup. Um, right? And that's technically the positions they play, but I don't think that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the topic of Corey Joseph uh, is, is another, another show, probably. But, um, you know, what he brings, I'm not sure it's exceptional in any way, but um, you know, he is uh, relatively solid and relatively confident compared to, you know, maybe some of the struggles of Killian. And 
that's probably a good thing to have in the starting lineup. But um, yeah, I mean, now that we're talking about it, I'm thinking more about like six man Hami. You know, Hami is really versatile. He can yes. play so many positions uh, and he brings so much energy whenever he comes into the game. So um, maybe maybe that's sort of his the way that I would should categorize him going forward is like he, he has potential to carve out like a six man or seven man, you know, role. Um, obviously the biggest thing hampering him is he's not, he's not a shooter. No. Um, <laughs> he hit two threes in that magic game. And that was really miraculous to keep us, you know, somewhat competitive in that first quarter. Um, just another one of the fluky things that happened in that game. But, um, yeah, I don't have much hope for that ever happening. Um, him coming around as a shooter. But that's actually what's like quoting him back though, right? Because I think if he ever developed the shot with everything else that he has in his game, like if it ever all came together, he's an adult starter, right? Yeah. But if that's going to be streaky, but everything else is kind of there, that's a that's a solid bench player that's going to be in the league for a while. So that just goes back to my overarching point of what I made on Motorcade all year. Just whenever I talk about the Pistons in general, is uh people want to see consistency immediately and when you, before Killian went to the bench, that starting five's average age was 22 and a half. Like, 22-year-olds aren't consistent in anything in life. Like, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. So, it, like, expecting that they're going to be the same thing from game to game and be in these competitive games against playoff teams is, like, that's not on that team. That's on people's expectations because your expectations are misplaced. That's not on them. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and, you know, I definitely um... – it was it was nice in some ways to have the come down game uh, against the Magic. You know, I think that Cade having like one of the best games ever by a rookie, um, and I was in the building for that, and that was really oh, exciting. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I couldn't have picked a better game to go to. Um, but like you're saying, I mean, if he was an MVP level player already, yeah, the rebuild would be here, baby. Like it would be <laughs> over, you know. Um, but he's not, he's not, he's, he's 20 years old. I've always thought that Cade, you know, looks like he should put on some weight over the off season. You know, he, you can easily picture a bigger, stronger Cade, I think. Um, even as he starts to look bigger and stronger throughout the season, Mm -hmm. um, I think you, 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 it's so easy to say that in three years, this guy's going to be unstoppable. Um, maybe even next year, but you know what I mean? So, but that's a good goal though, right? Is like rebuilds don't typically take just one year. So like if we're, Obviously, bad last year, bad enough to get the number one pick this year. We're somewhere in the top three of odds. And then if next year you're a little bit better, but not like maybe like for like 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 if Oklahoma City, like how they're competitive and could push for the play in, but then kind of decelerate as the year goes on. So they were able to get back in those lottery odds. I'd be fine with that as well, because how many young teams do you see really only like get to play continued playoff success with just one young star it's not like that's not reasonable we're not attracting like yeah i, I think we're going to be aggressive in free agency but we're not going to be getting any of like one there's just no stars entering free agency and two they wouldn't necessarily pick detroit anyway as impressive as kate is so i think hitting on a couple of those draft picks is pretty essential yeah and it's funny you look at the dallas mavericks who are probably the most analogous team with luca yeah. um it seems to me from the outside i don't watch the mavericks i don't follow the mavericks but um, it seems to me, right? They thought, "Hey, we got this future MVP on our team. Just go get Kristaps Porzingis, and we're gonna make, you know, we're gonna make a run at this thing." Um, I don't feel like the, the Mavs are a threat to win the championship, I, <laughs> but I, maybe I'm just no. not not watching the Mavs. 
No, I think they're a good team, and that's because Luca is good and Porzingis is fine sometimes. So, like, I would rather not mortgage the future on a guy who is a maybe all-star, like, pushing all of those chips in. I'd rather kind of play it a little bit more cautiously, build out the core. I, like, I don't like the Atlanta Hawks. Trey Young is not my style of basketball player, but I like the way they've built the team in the sense that they built through the draft and then they're able to eventually make that consolidation trade. That makes more sense to me. So I actually like that plan that they, that they, I would like to execute that over what like, like a Luca and, and the Dallas Mavericks are doing. Definitely. Definitely. Well, cool. Corey, I think we're on the same page. <laughs> I, I think so. I'm yeah. always nervous coming on talking about the Pistons because I'm typically more, I'm not, this season is not doom and gloom to me. And I feel like anytime I, I log on to Pistons Twitter, it's all like the worst things in the world are happening. And I'm like, it's, you can't take it that personally that the worst team in the league is losing games. That's just, that's kind of, that's kind of the formula. Yeah. And, and it's funny. I mean, the game against the Nuggets where Cade has the greatest performance ever, we lose that game and we felt so good after it. Yep. And you know, that was a perfect game for me. I'm very happy to lose. Absolutely. Um, like you said, so long as the young players are developing, and um, hopefully, yeah, we'll see a more, um, as we sort of hit on today, I guess, to sum it all up, hopefully we do see more of a functional team going forward to allow the young guys to flow, you know, not yeah. so much forcing them into roles, um, but being real and evaluating where they might actually thrive in the moment, yep. knowing that, you know, they'll be here on the roster next year and we'll, we'll have a chance to evaluate things when they're a little older, a little better, hopefully a little more experienced. Um, but thanks for coming on the show, Corey. And I think we'll definitely have you on in the future, too. This is great. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Yeah. All right. See ya. See ya.